When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to another episode of Her Hoops That's Unplugged. As always, you're here with Megan Gower and a happy Friday. Hope everyone had a good week. It was certainly an interesting week in the women's basketball world. We had two huge NCAA matchups on Monday and then um, some wild free agency news with the kind of huge trade four teams involved. Um, Natasha Howard and Sammy Wilcom end up in New York. Kiki Herbert Harrigan and uh, Katie Lucien-Lison end up in Seattle, number one tr- pick trade hands a handful of times in that as well. So uh, we're not going to get hugely into that in this episode, but Gabe and Christy on Courtside with Gabe and Christy got into that on the episode that dropped yesterday or yeah, yesterday. So go check out that episode if you want to hear all about the WNBA free agency and the big trades and everything that happened this week. As for this episode, I'm joined today by Jacob Mox from our Who Hoop Stats team. Hey, Jacob, how's it going? I'm doing pretty well. How about you? Doing good. Lots of NCAA basketball stuff to talk about this week, but I want to tip it up or start it off with um, the 2021 Becky Hammond Mid Major Player of the Year Award. We released the uh, semifinalist list, top 10 semifinalists earlier this week so figure we could talk about that a little bit obviously you have a huge part in that so kind of pick your brain on what these players did to like establish themselves as favorites and um semi-finalists for the award and talk about them some yeah definitely I mean 
just like at a very high level. Um, it's been great to see all the teams, the players really getting engaged with the award and promoting their own players as we promote them. Um, we didn't get that uh, for like probably, it, it, we didn't really pick up steam until like the second or third release last season. So it's good to see that just consistently this year. Um, and like from a selection process, we're, we're kind of becoming experts at it. It's a much more streamlined process than it was last season. Now that we're in our second year. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun looking at all these players. It's so difficult making these cuts. Um, Cause there are so many more players that we could honor that just like, you can only pick 10. So yeah, I get that. Especially because there's just so many good players that play for these mid-major teams and conferences, and they don't get the national recognition a lot of the time, even though they're putting up kind of pretty insane numbers. I mean, you look at some of these numbers on the semifinalist graphic, and it, they definitely are eye-popping, and they don't necessarily get that national recognition. But, I mean, these 10 players, I think there's some players on the list that actually have. I've seen also on some of the, you know, the, uh, what's it, the... The weight trophy. And, yeah. yeah, yes, thank you. The weight yeah. trophy list and uh, some of the positional award lists. So it's obviously awesome to see some of those names kind of getting on those um, national lists as well, because they clearly look at these stats. These players deserve the attention. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of these that are seniors, that we hear their name, some of their names, maybe even later in the kind of WNBA draft rounds this year. So. Um, you know, definitely some some big time players here. Yeah, I'm. I, oh, I was gonna say that I, I'm. I'm really excited for this year's draft because I think that the. I think it'll be interesting to see if a larger number of mid major players who are definitely like WNBA quality are going to take advantage of a of a lighter draft, knowing that they can. They're more likely to get some of those spots than in. Um, in a heavier draft like next season so yeah for sure I mean lots of WNBA buzz this week but I think there's been a lot of chatter about it clearly being a little bit um, lighter of a draft class and you know the way the number one pick changed hands quite a bit this week yeah. people were pretty surprised about but I, I mean I think it does in a way say something about what this draft class is kind of shaping up to be and there, I mean there's a lot of uncertainty over who's even in the draft class because there's some underclassmen that people are excited about, but then also everyone has another year, so people can stay in school if they want to. It's kind of no one really knows who's coming out and who's not at this point. So yeah, I mean, I I think this is just it's the perfect conditions for some of these mid-major players to take that step and get drafted when in another year they maybe would have gotten overlooked, and it'll give them the space to shine a little bit more. Exactly, and probably end up on the Dallas Wings roster, considering they have basically every pick in the <laughs> <Yeah>. draft. <laughs> um, but yeah, though, so I want to get kind of your thoughts on like you know how you narrowed down to these ten. What I mean, we can talk about them individually, but what if, on a kind of more overall level, what these ten players that are on the list have done to kind of really set themselves apart to make the semifinalist list. Yeah, I mean, really, the further we get into these cuts, um, we're down to 10 now. We started with 25 um, in November, down to 15 in January. And we're at the point now where 
every player is a, is a volume scorer. Every player is at least pretty good at efficiency, and there's kind of a trade-off between the efficiency and the volume. And some players do both. Some players just really excel in one of those categories. So, like, the lowest scoring player in this, in this 10, top 10 is Nancy Mulkey, and she actually is the lead among the 10 players in win shares per 40 minutes. So there's just, like... You have to get like really, really, really specific in where we're distinguishing these players when we're cutting it down to such a small number. Um, it's been great having the win share numbers this season as compared to last year. It's really helping us. Um, it's not making the decision for us, but it's definitely backing up or disproving notions that we had that we kind of didn't really have the exact evidence um, last season. So that's been great. Um, yeah, we're, we're really just looking for like overall impact. So, and it's a very broad way to describe a player, but yeah, just kind of starting with a list of a bunch of players who have something that stands out and figuring out who, who's faced the toughest competition, who is doing the most for their team, who has brought their team the highest in our rankings, that type of thing. Yeah, that certainly makes sense, and I'm sure having that Winchester's data is helpful. It's, like you said, it's not like the be-all, end-all stat, but it's, I think, in my opinion, at least one of the best stats at kind of trying to give you a, somewhat of a full picture of what a player does. It's not perfect, but it's, I think, the easiest way to look at it by one number if you're trying to really narrow down on kind of one number. So I can imagine having that makes the decisions a little bit easier just to be able to point to some evidence about, you know, things you see from watching the games. Yeah, anyway, I mean, like... Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> so I was say, like, that's that's the whole thing that got um, Hannah Sturvin on our radar because last season she was playing behind uh, Kier Duffy, so she plays for South Dakota. For anyone who doesn't know that, mm-hmm. um, she was behind last year's winner, Kier Duffy, who was just amazing. But at the same time, just kind of in the wings, they had Hannah Sturvin, who was like led the nation among players with with like a reasonable number of minutes played um, in winters per forty and. I stumbled across that stat and like, there's no way you can't put on those. And she's stuck around through the top 10 and she's one of the, uh, one of the better candidates. I mean, they're all really great candidates, obviously. Um, But yeah, like just like that extra level is helping us to discover players that maybe we wouldn't have even seen as highly last year. Yeah, for sure. I feel like one of the biggest challenges with like the mid-majors is there's so many teams and so many players and then they don't get the national attention. So getting those players on your radar, it's a lot of watching, but then like having those numbers is like, it's a great way to be able to kind of at least take a look at, you know, who is out there that's doing something really impressive that people maybe aren't aware of. Um, Yeah. So that's, that's pretty cool. I think one thing that excites me about this list is the fact that there's two sophomores on the semifinal list. <laughs> like, so they're only sophomores. They're only going to get better from here. But Daisha Fair, am I saying that right? Okay. Daisha Fair from Buffalo and then Kirsten Bell from Florida Gulf Coast University, both on the list of sophomores. Um, I mean, Buffalo obviously plays in a one of the tougher, I would say, mid-major conferences. And then in the MAC and then... Um, Kirsten Bell at Florida Gulf Coast University as well. So that's pretty awesome to see. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the MAC 
the Mac's ability to just put out talent is truly amazing for a conference that doesn't get like very much national attention. Um, and and it's talent that's starting at a at a pretty young age too. So like last year it was Deja Fair as a freshman who was putting up numbers that are kind of in line with what we're seeing with uh, with Caitlin Clark and Paige Beckers this year. And so she's a sophomore now this year. And then one player who didn't quite make the cut for the for this uh, 10 semifinalists, but was on our mid-season 15-player watch list, was Lexi Fleming for Bowling Green. And she's a freshman right now. She's just killing it. And surely she will be back on the preseason list uh, next year as a sophomore. I mean, as will Deja Fair, seemingly as one of the favorites to win it all as a junior next season. So... Yeah, and then both of those players, too, starting to get some national recognition. I believe Deja Fair was already on the weight list, and I think she's on the um, positional award list for the Nancy Lieberman Award as well. And then the weight trophy, all these t- most awards are cutting down their watch list, but the weight trophy added to their watch list this week. And yeah. Kristen Bell is, on, is one of the additions to that watch list. Yeah, Kirsten Bell uh, transferred from Ohio State after her freshman year. I don't know how much, I don't really remember how much she played at Ohio State, but she is just flourishing at uh, Florida Gulf Coast. And she is scoring and rebounding just at a really impressive rate, um, both in quantity and efficiency. Her defensive rebounding rate is 33.9%. Wow. Which is, so for people who don't know what defensive rebounding rate is, that means that over a third of the time that the opponent misses when she's on the court Kirsten Bell is grabbing that rebound, which is number two in the nation. And like that is that that is just a gaudy number. And to do that while also on the other end of the court, uh, scoring just really efficiently 1.31 points per scoring attempt, that is incredibly high. Like typically over like 1.2 is kind of elite level in the NCAA. And to do both of those at the same time is really impressive as a sophomore, no less. Yeah, exactly. Making a big impact for her team on both ends of the floor. And then, like you said, only a sophomore, so she's still got two years to go. Uh, so yeah. I can only imagine, like, by next year or her senior season, what, what she'll be doing. Yeah, I mean, the future is really bright for, I mean, people have been talking about it with Beckers and Clark, but across the board, it's looking really good. For sure. And then, I mean, we talked about one South Dakota uh, semifinalist, but we've got another one from South Dakota State and Maya Selland. And we actually got to see those two players play against each other last weekend. They had kind of a fun matchup. They played, um, I think it was at South Dakota State. They played Friday and Saturday, so double kind of header back-to-back days of games. Uh, But I thought Maya Selland was just fantastic Mm -hmm. in those games. Yeah, I mean, she's really the main reason that South Dakota State was able to sweep South Dakota. South Dakota came into that game with a 24-game win streak in Summit League play, which is, I believe it was a Summit League record, and snapped it and then beat it again the next day. So a pair of just really, really great players uh, between Sirvin and Selen. Selen kind of flew under the radar last year, um, kind of the way that Sirvin did, and like she gave us no choice but to put her on the list the way she's played this season and leading South Dakota State to I don't know if they're ranked right now but they saw that they were earlier in the season um almost definitely a tournament berth this year so 
Yeah, and I mean, even if they're not ranked, I'm pretty sure they're at least receiving votes. So, I mean, we continue the trend of, I don't know what it is about South Dakota, but something about that state. There's always two of the best mid-range programs in the country. Yeah, someone someone on Twitter pointed out that the award's named after Becky Hammond, who's a native of South Dakota. First winner (laughs) went to Kira Duffy. This year, we've got two South Dakota players. Selland is is a South Dakota native. Servants from over in Minnesota, uh, where I'm from. But uh, yeah, something's in the water over there, apparently. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I didn't realize that Becky Hammond was from South Dakota, but. <laughs> yeah, so she's kind of going back a little bit. She's actually from the same hometown as uh, as Kira Duffy. So oh, cool. kind of a cool hometown connection that first year. So Yes, very cool for the first year of awards. And oh, yeah, something about the South Dakota. Lots of good basketball. Yeah. Right. I feel like the other name we've got to talk about on this list is Chelsea Perry from UT Martin. I think at one point this season she was almost leading the country in points mm-hmm. per game. She's not anymore, but still 25 points per game, eight rebounds per game, a name that I've seen, I think, more in national attention, and she's been fantastic as well. Yeah, I mean, it, what what's most impressive to me is she was in our – Five our list of five finalists last season, and she's gotten better in basically every facet of the game. <laughs> she's scoring more. She's doing it more efficiently. She added a slightly more rebounds, just a, just as many assists, way fewer turnovers. Like that's it, it's just really impressive. And she did. Ha- she has an injury right now. I believe it was a hip injury, is what it was reported. That is day to day. Hopefully that doesn't hurt her her WNBA draft stock too much, but really excited to see her get back out there and lead uh, lead UT Martin, hopefully to a tournament berth the way it's looking. Yeah, great. I think she's a name as long as hopefully that injury gets cleared up and we see some more of her on the court this season. But, I mean, either way, I think a player whose name people should expect to be called on draft night, I think it would be Absolutely. pretty surprising if she doesn't get drafted in at least one of the rounds. Mm-hmm. Or, well, obviously it would be in one round, but um, like yeah. if she doesn't get drafted, it would be surprising. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And in terms of other players who uh, are really kind of pushing for WNBA, uh, just like a rock, even, even just a chance I really like Kiana Jeter this year. Uh, she was added to Don Staley's. Uh, uh, I, f- I think it's just point guards that Staley has on her watch list, but she was uh, on that list. Um, she's really, really like just a, a story that really took me back. Um, so she, so as a young child, Jeter was struck and hit by a car, recovered from that, and then just two years ago. She was stuck, struck by multiple stray bullets at a funeral, and she's just back out there, like number two and number three, I believe, in the nation in scoring. No, she's number second, number two now. She's kind of gone on a run lately, but her story's amazing. Um, she has a lot of drive, and I'm really rooting for her to get picked in the WNBA draft. So. Yeah, that's an incredible story. I didn't know that, but yeah, incredible story. And then, I mean, to be able to overcome some stuff like that, just in general, but then to be able to overcome that and be among the elite players in the NCAA for women's basketball is very impressive. Yeah, I mean, from from a school like Towson, too, like, they're not one of the mid-major blue bloods, so like, that's kind of an oxymoron, but 
And but one of the more they don't give the most press among all the mid majors. So especially being there, um, really great story to see her succeeding and thriving. For sure. Anyone else on this list you want to highlight before we jump to anything else? Um, yeah. So, I mean, we can't not talk about Anastasia Hayes at Middle yes. Tennessee. So she's, she's leading the nation in scoring. Um, I think she added, like, she added several points per game over last season. And she, the main way she's doing that is she's getting to the line just an absurd amount. She's averaging 11.4 free throw attempts per game, which is tops in the nation. And, I mean, th- those are those are free points. So, if you can if you can excel at getting to the line, you can really bolster your scoring numbers pretty quick. So, and then sure. yeah. yeah, and then also um, kind of going back to sort of yeah. So Blanca Milan for Maine, uh, she's definitely one of the players that does not get a lot of press um, up in Maine, but. So she played, I believe, only six games last season. She looked great. She was on our watch list, but she suffered a season of injury. So she wasn't able to be on any of the further watch lists, but she bounced back. She's scoring more points than she did last year prior to that injury. She's just like a great player that does not get enough uh, press up there in Maine. Um, definitely wanted to make sure we touched on that. Um, trying to look through the list. Who else? Yeah, it's kind of a similar story, not injury-based, but Nancy Mulkey last season just kind of had a had a difficult second half of the season for Rice, but this year she's not looking to have any of that like second half uh, decline. Um, she's leading Rice to kind of a sneaky solid season. They're up there in the twenties in our herb stats ranking, and a lot of that is due to Mulkey. She scores. Um, a decent amount, but she does so very efficiently and she rebounds really efficiently. And she also blocks 3.1 shots per game. So that'll, that'll always help. Yeah, for sure. I feel like Rice is a team we haven't really heard about this season and they are typically pretty good. I guess not having um, Erica Gumake, who obviously brings some name recognition, maybe has hurt why they're not in the kind of natural realm of attention so far this year, but I feel like a mid-major team that's also pretty solid. I mean, Ogumike definitely helped put them on their map, but yeah. they've been very good over the last few seasons. Absolutely. Cool. Well, that was fun. And people, like, go watch these games. On, I feel like all of their games are on ESPN+, Plus. so yeah. <laughs> tune into these players. They're fun to watch. Yeah, Worth like, just as much hype as some of the national attention ones. So Yeah, spend five or six dollars a month and just watch like all the mid major stuff you can. Um like you even if it doesn't include one of these ten players or any of the twenty five who are on the preseason list, just pick random games, watch them. You never know what you'll stumble across. Um a lot of I mean it's a numbers game. I think we discussed this last time I was on the podcast, Megan, but it's a numbers game. If you just watch as many games as you can, you're gonna watch some really, really good games. So Right. Yeah, there's tons of really great basketball going on in the mid-majors. We've talked about it on here for sure before, but yeah. I don't know. I like going on ESPN Plus and just like flipping on a random random game and seeing yeah. what happens. Figuring out what games are in the fourth quarter, what games are in overtime, that type of thing. Exactly. And I'm sure we'll be seeing some of these players in the NCAA tournament. So kind of when you're making your bracket, some sneaky knowledge for teams that yeah. might upset someone. Yeah, like... You, you don't want to go in and make your bracket not knowing about Chelsea Perry or not knowing about Deja Fair. Like, 
they can be bracket busters and it's to your benefit to learn about them now before they before they wreak havoc on the high majors. <laughs> exactly. So I, I'm excited to see some of these players in that NCAA tournament when we get there. I, mean, I think everyone's starting to really look forward to March, but... I mean, speaking of March, though, we also put out a bracketology piece this week. So getting on that March hype train, uh, we're getting close. I actually just see, I think Monday, the NCAA is releasing their official top 16 teams. They do that typically a couple times during the season. I wouldn't be surprised if this is the only time it's happening this year because it's a little bit of a weird season, as everyone obviously knows. So, but we will get a preview of at least where the NCAA thinks things are at right now, um, where the committee thinks things are at. But put out our own view today of where we think things are at. Um, I feel like not a ton of surprises. I mean, in one seeds right now, I'd have South Carolina, UConn, Stanford, Louisville, but I would say, well, NC State and Maryland are probably not too far behind on that one line if you know there's been plenty of upsets this season so if a team is to lose another one I would I wouldn't be surprised to see an NC State or a Maryland sneak onto that that top line but I feel like there's kind of starting to be a set of teams that are separating themselves as the top teams in the country yeah I mean it's always nice when there's there's a nice combination of parity at the top but definitely a group that's at that makes sense where kind of that that upper echelon is pretty close and you can make cases for a lot of different teams but they have separated themselves and like there are clear front runners um it's a nice nice balance of parity and disparity so <laughs> yeah for sure i think it's something that took a little bit this season i feel like things have been pretty all over the place i mean they still are i'm like looking at this bracket and you know you look at uconn as a one seed and they just beat south carolina on monday which we'll talk about in a bit but they've also lost to arkansas which is a five seed in the bracket so i think yeah. in general we're just looking at a very fun march yeah although kind of my rule of thumb is that crazier the regular season is the more chalk the bracket goes so, yeah. <laughs> don't disappoint me I, I still think it's gonna be a wild one I've well I just hope it's crazy in the way that there's like actual upsets on the court because I I just worry like how many things are gonna get changed because of COVID as we get to the tournament yeah. but um I, I just hope that we get to see as many of these games as possible and things get to play out as they should I think yeah. the thing I'm most interested to see in the committee's reveal on Monday is where they put Texas A&M. I put them on the three line because, like, to me, they feel like they're clearly a top eight team. They've just one loss in the, the SEC, which is really tough this year. I mean, there's six SEC teams in the top five seed lines. It's insane. Um, but they're they're not winning games by a ton of points, so their net is a little bit lower at 14 which made me hesitate to put them on that two line. I think especially in a crazy season, it's just so hard to evaluate these teams. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a little more dependence on looking at some of those metrics. So I'm, I'm interested to see if the committee keeps them on a three line going in on Monday or if they have them on the two line. Yeah, I mean, kind of that, that 14 net rating is is pretty much in line with how the Her Hoop stats rating has them. I mean, I guess it... It's exactly in line. So her sets rating has them at 14. So yeah, it'll be interesting because I know the committee is kind of instructed to not so much take the um, take the net rating as as gospel. It's more as a 
bucketing your opponents. But I think, yeah, like you mentioned, this weird season, like who knows how that has to change just based on limited uh, uh, non-conference stuff. Right. What I see is I feel like a lot of things are going to be done based on the eye test because that's really the best measure I think we have because even all these like numeric measures, just because there's been so little non-conference play, it's doesn't the numbers don't necessarily do a good job of assessing different teams and different conferences against each other they definitely have more blind spots to some of those matchups that we normally would have gotten to see that kind of adds a little bit more information model-based uh metrics like hoops ads and the net rating so exactly yeah, so I could see it going a lot of I taste way, which I think would work in Texas and favor, but I can also see it going a little bit more looking at the net a little heavier just because it's so hard to try to assess even from just watching like who's the better team. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see which way that swings because I like I can see it going both ways where people people might just distrust they might like even distrust the net more than like more than is like rational i guess is the right way to put it Mm -hmm. where you could see like an overcorrection of oh we can't even like use the net to bucket teams into quads so right yeah i think it's gonna be very interesting i feel like seeing that review on monday is gonna be very telling i'm interested to see that and kind of get it i think that'll give us a better sense about how the committee's looking at things this season i think I mean, it was already going to be a hard season to try to predict because the net is new. And, yep. you know, before they used the RPI, which was just a not great a metric. <laughs> um, so the net is definitely an improvement. So it was like, okay, how much more will they rely on that? Just trying to under- understand that. And then now you add in COVID and the fact that some teams have played 20 games and some teams have played nine and like it's just the whole yeah. disaster so uh, I'm very interested to see how things look when they put out that on Monday yeah and like even beyond trying to gauge like like correcting for oh this player was out for COVID that game or was out for for health reasons as teams I think have to report them for this game and and therefore like how do we adjust the outcome like in terms right. of a model or anything like that. But even further further than that is this whole team was off for a couple weeks and they came back and played and they were a little rusty. How do we weigh that? So and exactly. In the moment it's pretty easy to look at it and say, oh, they were rusty with them. One, like does that still hold up by the time selection Monday comes around? And two, do people even remember that that was <laughs> right. the case? Like exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting to try to figure out, like, I would not want to be on the committee this year. Like, it's, yeah. it just seems really difficult. I think everyone needs to cut them slack when they don't like their decisions this year because I, I think it's just a really, really difficult task to look at everything that's happened this season and put teams into a seatings. And I think it's someone's going to get – someone's seat is going to mess up or someone's going to get left out that maybe shouldn't have, which happens every year anyway, but I think in particular, like – this year is just a lot more challenging, so it's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out. But I, I do think that reveal coming Monday will be interested. interesting. I think the other thing I'm interested to see is kind of who's the overall number one when they print out Monday. I have South Carolina right now. I've seen some people say 
you know, UConn moves into that spot with their win on Monday. But to me, even with that win for UConn, the South Carolina strength schedule is just so much better. They're still undefeated in the SEC, it feels like to me. It doesn't really matter. that I mean, they lost that UConn game in overtime, too. It's such a close game. To me, I'm like, okay, these are two pretty evenly matched teams. So I give South Carolina the edge there with their strength of schedule and the resume that they have. Yeah, I would just kind of using the eye. You're not – so there's – I guess there's kind of a couple different, like, tiers of the eye test. But looking at the eye test using our Her Hoop Sats rating um, – I like UConn by a little bit. Um, so I know, like, conference schedule, definitely, like, much harder for South Carolina. Um, but I think that even despite that, I would still lean UConn just by a little bit. There, yeah, I want – I think that potentially just the way that they blow out teams that they should be blowing out might be – inflating their rating a little bit, but mm-hmm. I think on the whole, I think, yeah, and maybe I'm thinking about it too much from like a, like a ranking versus a, a resume perspective. And maybe, maybe that's like kind of influencing me to think a little bit more UConn where you think, uh, you think who would beat who on a court is kind of the AP top 25. And then who earned this rank is more of the bracketology side of it. So, yeah, but I feel like yeah. it's always really hard to separate those two things. So there's definitely yeah. some like some mix of both of those in the AP Polian and when you get a bracket. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's really, really close between UConn and South Carolina. I think they're probably pretty clearly your top two overall seeds. That I think it's it's pretty easy to argue yourself into either one being the, yeah. the number one overall. Yeah, I think the one other thing that I'm most interested to see on Monday is if the committee has Stanford on that one line. I feel like I've also seen, you know, some people have them not on the one line because of that loss to Colorado. But, I mean, they are first in the net. They're still playing in the Pac-12. To me, just from the eye test, they're one of the deepest teams in the country. They look like one of the best teams in the country. So I have them on that one line, but I'm also just interested to see if they're on that one line. I feel like NC State's loss last weekend probably put Stanford onto that one line, but um, I think that's another interesting one to keep an eye on. Yeah, and I mean, it's just with fewer games being played, like those single games are going to have such a big difference at this stage. So, yeah, I could definitely see that. I mean, that kind of goes both ways, though, for both of their last night losses. Yeah. It's kind of kind of a toss-up the way I see it. Yeah, so we'll see more about that on Monday. I'm sure like five crazy things will happen before Monday, so this bracket will be irrelevant that we just talked yeah. about by then. But um, the way this season's going, there's crazy upsets. I was very happy that when I was finishing this up last night that no one got upset other than Ohio State, but they have a self-inflicted uh, tournament ban this year so they are not in the bracket so I didn't have to try to make any <laughs> midnight edits last night so but I'm sure this weekend is I feel like something about the weekend basketball Sunday is usually a big NCAA women's basketball game and there's always lots of upsets so I'm sure it's yeah. coming all right well we talked about UConn and South Carolina 
quite a bit in the bracket, but should we talk a little bit more about the big game on Monday? Um, I mean, UConn wins it in overtime, but it was a thriller pretty much down to the wire. Fun game. Kind of one of those games that makes you, like, I mean, granted, pretty much every basketball game makes me miss, like, normal times with fans in the stand, but definitely one of those games that would have been, like, a sellout crowd, like, a lot of fun environment to watch as well in normal times. Yeah, I think... People talk about like the the legacy that that Paige is building already this early in her career, and I think I think it it kind of hits a little bit harder if there's a lot of fans there, and just and I think I think for the, that game, and I also think for uh, that her big shot against uh, Tennessee, like I don't know, I think that. A player with her hype, it's a bummer that she doesn't get to play in front of just, like, raucous crowds. Exactly. I think, I mean, from a perspective of just, like, those moments are huge moments. They're, like, UConn doesn't, hasn't in the last few years played in a lot of particularly close games, so there hasn't been a lot of big moments like that. (laughs) And now she's got two of them in one season, and yeah, moments that would just be bigger if you had the crowd reaction and then at home against South Carolina like the student section and everything that comes with that but I also to me I'm like I'm like bombed right like she's the type of player that's so good and you like everyone's missing out on a year of seeing her play in person not just UConn fans and UConn home but like all these schools where she'd be playing on the road like and Big East games and stuff, like, the opportunity to just see her play in person. I don't know. I feel that way about mm-hmm. a lot of other players. I felt that way when Oregon came to UConn last year, and I was like, got to go see Sabrina in person. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I think I think probably the last time I was on the podcast, uh, it was leading up to South Carolina playing at Iowa State, and my, my friend who writes for the, the Iowa State student newspaper, I told him, like, hey, I, I know you're not the women's reporter, but get a credential if they'll allow people to get credentials. Like you, Aaliyah Boston is like a generational talent. Like it is absurd the things that she's able to do as a sophomore and the things that she did as a freshman. So, yeah, exactly. And it's like people are missing out on these players. I mean, luckily a lot of them are young, so there's going to be plenty more opportunities to see them in the college game live in person. But it's still just such a bummer to like not be able to see them on the court and then. You look at like the seniors that are really good and will be drafted this year. It's a bummer not to get to see them on the court, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah it's I mean, just disappointing. <laughs> kind of on that note, I'm almost I'm really curious how senior nights are gonna go, because um, because like road games and stuff like that, they're limiting who you can interact with post game, and there's that to a certain extent for the home teams as well, so. It'll be interesting, like how scaled back it has to be, and how how socially distanced it has to be, and how that changes the energy and the emotion there. So something I hadn't even yeah. thought about until just now, but could definitely uh, definitely impact that in a really interesting way. Yeah, for sure. I think we'll see it starting. I want to say this week. For some reason, it's like Louisville's last home game is already this week. They must finish oh, wow. most of their conference date on the road because I saw Jeff Walls tweeting about Dan Evans Sunday oh. today. So it's oh. coming this week. So they've got a road slate to finish out. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I mean, 
I know a lot of schools, well, I think Louisville actually allows fans, but I'm going to say, like, UConn has allowed yeah. friends and family at games, and I would, like, I know there's supposed to be one like, contact, but I, like, highly doubt that if these players, parents are traveling to the game, they're not letting them see their parents, so. Yeah. Um, I do hope that, I mean, they, it's unfortunate that they won't have the big crowd and, like, the send-off that they would have deserved, but I think they should yeah. at least be able to have the, you know, on-court type stuff that they would normally have for a senior day. Yeah, and I'm trying to, like, think of a way that they can do that send-off virtually, but, like, just from, like, watching, like, like the NFL draft where they had, they had like, fans from home, it's, like, there's no energy there. They're just, like, yelling at a camera. There's no, like, there's no heart in that. So, yeah, I, it'll be interesting for those teams that aren't having, aren't having, like, true crowds at their games, how they can try and replicate that feeling, so... Yeah, I'm I'm sure they've got a lot of creative ideas that they're doing. So it'll be fun to see. Hopefully they'll show some of that on the broadcast and stuff so we get a sense of how they're being creative to do that. Yeah. Going back to what we were originally talking about, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Sidetracked there, but big game on Tuesday. I mean, like you said, that Paige Becker shot is what seals it for UConn. Definitely a home court bounce there uh, on that yeah. three. Kind of goes up above the backboard and shot clock and comes back down and goes down. Um, but I think overall, like it just was back and forth all game long. A lot of fun to watch. It was an ugly game, but still a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, I was I was busy leading up to like basically like a couple minutes left in regulation, so I got to I got to skip past all the all the less than. <laughs> less than uh, fundamentally sound basketball and watch the really exciting part, just kind of the way my schedule worked out. But yeah, I mean, yeah, you mentioned it before, like for that to be uh, Becker's second major shot of like that caliber is really impressive this early on. Um, yeah, it, very much a home home court bounce. Um, <laughs> it, I mean, then... That that like that almost adds to the drama of it. Like that will be remembered. I don't know about more than the Tennessee shot because maybe the Tennessee one is like a a deep, more deeply rooted rivalry. So like there's a little bit more history there, obviously. But yeah, like I, I think that the and such a high uh, home court bounce like that. Rem- almost reminded me of like the, the Kawhi Leonard bounce where it, that, that becomes like an integral part of the moment more than if she just like cashed it and went off and went about her way. So. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I think it's already, I guess, made its way into UConn's like highlight rule video that they show pregame. So it's already yeah. kind of cemented in history a little bit, but I mean, she's what 15 games into her career. I think that was kind of one of the most striking things about this game is, I mean, it was Paige Beckers on the UConn side and then Aaliyah Boston on the South Carolina side that had the biggest games, and it's kind of these two young talents that are obviously going to eventually be huge WNBA stars and have just been fantastic battling it out, obviously playing during this position, so they weren't directly battling with each other, but that's kind of what it felt like. It felt like it was like the Beckers versus Boston battle for who was going to win this game. Yeah. I mean, those those like marquee matchups between two star players like that is so good for the sport and the fact that they're young. Like we're gonna see 
maybe not always like those two players, but like we're gonna there there are a lot of combinations of great head-to-head matchups that we're gonna see over the coming years. Just the way the the way like this young talent has kind of really really exploded over the last couple seasons. Yeah, I agree. I think it's gonna be super exciting, and I mean, over the next coming years. But even come March, I think there's so much young talent right now that we're gonna get to see hopefully against each other in the tournament. So. All coming back to March, but I'm starting to get really excited for it. It feels like it's something that's definitely going to happen. I feel like all season I've been, like, holding my breath that they're not going to, like, well, maybe they should have canceled the season, but that they were going to cancel the season yeah. and, like, tried not to be excited for March. But at this point, it kind of feels like we're just steamrolling ahead towards that. So I'm starting yeah. to get very excited. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, last season, last season, like, when, when you're only playing, like, a couple, like, maybe even a week under the, under, like, the, dark cloud of the pandemic like you like it definitely makes sense like that they like reasonably obviously that they canceled the tournament last year Mm -hmm. but also just like from a from a momentum sense I guess is how I'd put it but I don't see them playing this whole year under like really really shade not shady that's not the right word but like really really (laughs) like uncomfortable circumstances as like a viewer um there's no way they're pulling the plug now I just don't see it happening like you don't put your players through all of that without finishing it out so exactly right they're gonna finish this out hopefully they find a way to do it as safely as possible and such that COVID is not playing a big hand and who wins the national championship but I'm yeah I'm excited to see uh, how it all shakes out and starting to get really excited for March I'm sure all of our listeners are as well so this is just a really, really random thought I had. If if somehow, there's, there's two routes this could go. If somehow UConn benefits, like let's say like their their elite eight opponent can't play and they just get like a buy into the next round, the uproar, the the, the claims <laughs> of conspiracy from like from like every fan base that is not UConn and vice versa. Like if it happened against UConn. <laughs> Like, would that be enough for, like, at least for a year for people to just kind of, like, ease off on, like, the whole crying foul about about UConn bias? <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. That's so funny, though. You are correct. If it happens in the favor of UConn, we will never hear that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, that was where, my, where my mind went first, and then I kind of was wondering, like, in, on, in the other direction how bad something would have to go against UConn for people to, like, lay off them for a little bit. Yeah, probably they still won't lay off. They'll lay off for, like, a week, and then they'll be off right back. <laughs> they'll lay off for, like, a week, and then, and then Paige will win National Player of the Year or something, yeah. and everyone will be back up in arms. <laughs> I was going to say that it'll, it, it'll die down for a little bit, and then people will remember that they have fun coming next year, and it's only going to be worse for, yeah. I mean, quote-unquote worse for <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's probably a topic for another podcast, but like yeah. from everything I've heard, she's supposed to be better than Beckers, and I just can't really imagine that at this point. So it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for hopping on, Jacob. Yeah, definitely. Anytime. That's all for today's episode. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, like, and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to us on. Also make sure to check out the stats site at herhoopstats.com. Lots of great NCAA stats and our Her Hoop Stats ratings are live, so you can check out our ratings of all the teams in the NCAA. Also make sure to 
check out the WNBA stats and then our WNBA salary cap sheets and all the stuff you need for WNBA free agency. You can follow us on social media at Her Hoop Stats on all platforms and make sure you are subscribed to our free newsletter on Substack to get all of our best content straight to your inbox. Thanks again for listening. Mm-hmm.